Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of broadcasts on our identity in Christ, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was giving an example of a very profound identity crisis that we have described in the scriptures. The example that I was giving was Cain, son of Adam and Eve, that Cain experienced a very profound identity crisis due to a false assumption and a significant misunderstanding. This misunderstanding is very difficult to recognize without a correct translation of Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, and that was what I was describing at the end of the previous broadcast, was that a more correct translation of Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 was that Eve said that she gave birth to a man who is God, or who was God. The translation would be that I have brought forth a man at a cost to myself who is God. Now the reason why this is translated incorrectly is because of a misunderstanding of the use of a word called the Hebrew particle, which is a word that tells us what the direct object is in a sentence. There is no preposition given there in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Most translations assume that a preposition exists there, that Eve gave birth to his son with the help of God, or for God, or to God. There is no preposition given there, and so this is a mistake that is made in the translation process. Now, to see a mistake like this is not very unrealistic. When you consider the history of Bible translations from Hebrew into English, the earlier translations were done with the assistance of Hebrew scholars. And the most available Hebrew scholars at the time that these first translations were taking place were rabbis. Rabbis who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but they were experts in the Hebrew language. We have also had other translations throughout the history of the world, but it would not be very realistic for the rabbis to translate this verse in this way, because to them it would not make any sense. It would not make any sense to them. Why would Eve suggest that she gave birth to a man who was God manifested in the flesh? That would not make any sense at all. And so in order to ensure that the verse makes sense, they would have to insert a preposition in there because they would not believe that God would actually manifest in the flesh, dwell among us, and be the Savior of humanity. They would not believe that. That would be contrary to what they did believe about the Messiah, what they did believe about the living God, and how he interacted with us here on earth. These assumptions would prevent them from translating the verse in the way that it has been written, because to them it would not make any sense. But to us who are believers in Christ Jesus, it makes perfect sense, and there is no need to insert additional words in order to change it so that it does make sense. It makes perfect sense to us because we know that the Messiah was God manifested in the flesh. The Messiah, the Lord Jesus, is God manifested in the flesh. We know that that's true if we truly believe in Christ Jesus as the Messiah. And so for the Lord to make that promise to Eve and Eve convey that promise to her son Cain when Cain was born 
through his name and also through the statement and proclamation that she made in light of his birth, this would not be difficult to accept because we already know that the Lord our God promised that he personally would come and save us from our sins and restore to us the spiritual life that had been lost in Adam. Now, there have been several opportunities to make corrections to this mistranslation throughout the history of English Bibles that have been made available to us even to this day, but there are no publishers who are currently willing to step out on a limb and make such a radical change in a translation that would deviate too much from the existing translations. The reason why is because there is a significant amount of risk with regards to whether or not they are going to make enough sales of a new Bible that deviates too much from an existing translation. When a new Bible comes out, people will normally take a new translation and they will compare it with the existing translations that they have to see how close it fits to the existing translations, expecting that any changes that would be there would just be changes in terms of modernizing the language, not making any significant doctrinal changes of any kind or any changes in the scriptures that would cause a change in doctrine because that deviation would be unacceptable given the history that we have of using certain verses to perpetuate certain very important doctrines. Many sermons have been written and built on these assumptions, and to deviate too much from the existing translations would give people a reason to doubt the integrity of the new translation, and so they either wouldn't buy another copy or they would discourage people from buying additional copies, and the publishers would not be able to recover the cost of the labor of actually doing a real translation that would make corrections such as these. So there are certainly errors that we have in the translations that we have available to us today. But let me say very sincerely that I do not believe that there are any errors, I have not found any errors, that are significant enough for me to reconsider anything about what I believe about the Lord Jesus. There are some significant errors here and there, but not enough to cause me to doubt anything about the living God, the Messiah, how he accomplished the salvation that we now have. I don't know of any examples that would cause me to doubt my faith or doubt the integrity of the word of God, even though in many cases the translations that we have of the original manuscripts do have some slight errors to them. The example that I'm giving you is not intended to disturb your faith because it certainly does not disturb mine. But understanding this does help to have a greater understanding of how our God accomplished the salvation that we now get to enjoy through having a personal relationship with him as a result of what he did through Christ Jesus. And so consider the message that Eve would have been giving her son Cain, not just by his name, which meant here he is, but also conveying to Cain what the Lord told her about what he would do for them. She would effectively, because this is what she believed, she would effectively communicate to Cain that he would be the savior of the world. He would be the Messiah. He would be the savior of humanity, and he would be the one who would solve all of their problems. It's not unrealistic to suggest that Eve would have conveyed that type of message to Cain, because that's what she believed. I think it would be less likely for her to communicate something to him otherwise then he would be the chosen one who would bring about reconciliation until she gives birth to his brother. And this is described in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. 
she gave birth to another son. Why is she giving birth to another son? God gave her the promise. He gave her the prophecy that the Messiah would come forth through her, that he would put enmity between her seed and the serpent seed, that he would intervene in her life and bring forth the Messiah who would be God manifested in the flesh. What is she doing with another child? She did have the child Cain. She fulfilled the curse that was given to her in Genesis chapter 3. Why is she going through all of this again? How do you think that would make her feel to give birth a second time? This would create a great deal of confusion and bring about great concern with regards to the promise that God gave to her. Did her God lie to her? Was he dishonest with her? Why would she have to go through the pain and suffering of childbirth a second time? If Cain was it, if Cain was going to be the fulfillment of the curse and also of the prophecy that God gave to her, then what's she doing with another child? With that kind of an attitude in comparison with the meaning of the name Cain, how would she then name Abel? Well, Abel also has a very distinctive meaning. The name Abel means it is all in vain. That's what that means. How would you like to be named Abel? Eve went from naming Cain as here he is to naming Abel as this is all in vain. What would be in vain? Well, what would be in vain would be the experience of childbirth, the pain and suffering of childbirth. That would be in vain because she is not experiencing the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given to her by the Lord her God when they fell and sinned in the Garden of Eden. That's what would be in vain. And this would certainly be a significant opportunity for Eve to experience a great deal of depression, to say the least, when she discovered that Cain might not be it. Cain might not be the end of all of her pain and suffering. Cain might not be the savior of the world. He may not be the one who's going to restore her to perfection in the Garden of Eden, or anyone else for that matter. Maybe Cain is not really going to be the Messiah that she told him he would be. What is she going to tell him now? What is she going to tell him that's going to encourage him to continue to live his life even in light of the reality that he's not really going to be the Messiah, that he's not really the chosen one, that he's not the special person that she thought he was going to be? What is she going to tell him and how is he going to react to that? Well, I'll come back to that in a moment. First consider in Genesis chapter 4 verse 2, where it says that Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Well, this is very interesting, because the Lord gave Adam the curse that he would have to till the ground, that he would have to work the ground. Why is Abel keeping flocks and not working the ground? Why is Cain working the ground and not keeping flocks? I sincerely believe that Cain was working the ground, tilling the ground, because that's what he was supposed to do. That was what God told his father Adam to do. The Lord told Adam to work the ground, to sweat and labor, and to acquire his food by laboring in the ground, pulling up the weeds and sowing seed that would produce food that they could eat. If Cain is going to be the righteous savior of the world, he should at least do what God told him to do. I believe that Cain chose to work the ground because he wanted to be obedient to God because he wanted to be a righteous representative of humanity, because he wanted to be the Savior of the world. For him to be the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given to his mother and father, 
For him to do that, it would make perfect sense for him to live a life of righteousness, of holiness, of obedience to the commandments of God, because obviously their parents failed to live in obedience to the commandments of God. So now maybe he will do what is right. He will choose the occupation that God gave Adam, and he will labor as God told his father to labor. He will be obedient. He will be true to the commandments of God. And maybe because of his righteousness that he manages to obtain through his obedience to God, he will be the savior of his parents and the savior of his brothers and sisters. He will be the savior of the world. He will be the Messiah. Maybe he will do it. But Abel, on the other hand, decides to keep flocks. Apparently, he has chosen not to till the ground. If you were to look at Abel from Cain's perspective, you could suggest that Abel was being disobedient to God. Abel was not fulfilling the decree that God gave to his father Adam. He was being disobedient to God by not working the ground, by not sweating from his brow, by not pulling up the weeds and sowing seed in order to obtain his food. But instead, he decided to look after livestock. From Cain's perspective, Cain could look at Abel and say that Abel was an unrighteous man. He was not righteous before the Lord. He was disobedient to God. He was not to be considered to be an acceptable man before God because he was not holy and righteous. He was not doing what God told him that he should be doing. That could very easily be the perception of Cain in light of the command that was given to his father Adam with regards to what they were going to do for a living, with regards to what career path they were going to take, with regards to what they were going to do in this world to participate in this world and to be a part of the society that they were a part of. And so what happened as time went on? We can continue to read what took place in Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. This is Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Well, consider what Cain understood. Cain understood that God cursed his father and cursed him as well to say that he needed to go and work the ground. So sure enough, he went and he worked the ground. And out of his success in working the ground, out of his success of being obedient to God, he brings forth the fruit of his labor, brings it to the Lord as an offering and says, look, here it is. Here is the evidence that shows that I was obedient to you. Here is the evidence that shows that I have done precisely what you told me that I should do. I was obedient to you, my God, and I now want to worship you by showing you what I have done on your behalf and what I have done in order to fulfill your obligations that you gave to us I have done that and I now present the evidence to show that I am holy and righteous because of what I have done. This is very important to recognize. Abel, on the other hand, he brought forth an animal from the flock of the herd that he was overseeing as his form of labor. He brought forth the animal and the Lord God looked at Abel's sacrifice and had regard for it, but not for the sacrifice that Cain presented. 
Cain was angry. He was angry and his countenance fell. Why would he be angry? Well, to understand why anyone is angry, you must first consider what they are afraid of. Because in general, anger is a response to fear. Anger is the secondary reaction to the primary cause of being afraid. What would Cain be afraid of? He brought forth an offering. He was very honest and very forthright and very obedient in his own eyes. He brought forth the offering. Why would he now be afraid of the rejection of his God? Well, he could easily be afraid because he did what God told him to do, and now God is not willing to accept what he has done. What is he going to do now? How is he going to get right with the Lord? How is he going to be the Savior of the world? How is he going to save his mother? How is he going to save his father if the Lord doesn't have any regard for his offering, if the Lord doesn't have any regard for all the labor that he went through, for everything that he did for God, for everything that he did for the world? What is he going to do now? What is he going to do in order to get right with the Lord? He has been obedient to every commandment that he knew he was supposed to be obedient to. He did everything right that he knew that he was supposed to do, contrary to his parents. And now the Lord is not willing to accept his offering. The Lord is not willing to accept what he did for him, for everyone, out of his desire to be of service and to be the Savior of the world. The Lord is unwilling to accept or have regard for what Cain is presenting. So we continue to read into verse 6. This is Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? In verse 7, it says, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. In other words, the Lord apparently tells Cain that Cain is still to do what is right and not do what is wrong, and on that basis he will be accepted before the Lord. Now, most sermons that are proclaimed from verse 7 have to do with the suggestion that the reason why Cain's offering was not accepted by the Lord was because it was not a blood sacrifice of the firstborn of a flock which would be the foreshadowing of the requirement of the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And I do sincerely believe that this is a true foreshadowing that is described here, but I do not believe that that is the direct intent of the Lord when he is speaking to Cain. I do believe that that is a secondary truth, but that there is a primary truth that is not being understood, and that is in light of the fact that Cain was obedient to the commands that he knew. He was obedient to the commands that were given to him, and his anger was a result of fear because he did not know what to do further in comparison with what he has already done, and the fact that what he has done is not acceptable to the Lord. So in many cases, people will look at verse 7 and say that the problem here is that Cain did not bring the correct offering. I do not believe that that is the problem, and the reason why I do not believe that is because of another mistranslation found in this verse, Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, which I will explain shortly. But before I give that explanation, I want you to see that Cain does precisely what he believes he should do, and Abel did not do what the expectations would be of Abel in accordance with the command that God gave their father Adam with regards to working and tilling the ground. And so when the Lord tells him that he must master sin because it's crouching at the door 
waiting to pounce on him. The question is, what is the sin that he has to master? What has he done that is evil? What has he done that is contrary to the law that was given to him? The Lord should say that to Abel, not to Cain, as Cain would be concerned, because Abel was not obedient to God. And so then, how would we correctly interpret Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. In other words, you must do that which is good, you must not do that which is evil, and through your mastery of the sin in your life, you will then be acceptable to God. That would be the correct interpretation of this verse. But I do not believe that that is the truth that our God wanted to convey to us because this interpretation is based on a mistranslation of Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 does say something very different when you look at it in the original language in Hebrew. When you look at this verse in the original language, it does say something very different, but it's very difficult to translate. And because I understand how difficult it is to translate, I can also understand where the translators got this translation from. I sincerely believe that this mistranslation was caused because of two specific problems. The first problem is is that our God actually spoke in an incomplete sentence in the verses that this was translated from. And the second problem is is that there's some doctrinal bias that I believe is thrown in here that is not described in the Hebrew text, but aided them in combining these two sentences that technically should be separated because the Lord actually spoke in an incomplete sentence in verse 7. Now, of course, you do have the option of not believing what I am telling you with regards to verse 7. If you don't want to believe me, that's perfectly fine. What that means is is that you're going to have to conclude that Abel was acceptable to God because he provided a blood sacrifice. Cain was not acceptable to God because he did not bring forward a blood sacrifice. From a foreshadowing perspective with regards to the law of Moses and the Messiah, that is true. That most certainly is a true conclusion. However, I do not believe that that is what our God was intending to say in this conversation with Cain and Abel. I don't believe that that was his intent, although you can legitimately conclude that that is a truth. And on that basis, I certainly won't argue with you at all. The only thing that will remain unresolved is why Cain would be considered to be unacceptable because he did obey what God told him to do. God told him to till the ground and to work for his food by pulling up the weeds and tilling the ground. Abel was disobedient to that, and so technically he should be considered to be unacceptable. The other thing that is assumed is that God tells Cain that he must master his sin, that there is good and there is evil, that his brother was able to do that which is good, and so he mastered his sin, and so he was considered to be acceptable. Or he did the best he could, and then he presented the offering for where he fell short with regards to his obedience. That is one way to consider these verses. The only reason why I took the time to look into the language that this was originally written in is because I perceived a contradiction with regards to the commandment that was given through Adam And I was also very concerned with regards to God telling Cain that he had to master the sin in his life, knowing full well that he would never be able to master the sin in his life. Perhaps that would have been inspirational for him to present a blood offering as compensation for where he fell short. 
but I wasn't sure, and so I decided to look into it very carefully. And when I examined the sentence structure and the grammar of verse 7, I realized the difficulty of translating it because it was a surprise to me when I saw that our God spoke in an incomplete sentence when he was speaking with Cain. Now, because I have very little time for the remainder of this broadcast, I'm not going to be able to give you the details with regards to verse 7 in this program. I can only summarize it this time and tell you that it appears to me, when examining very carefully the language that our God used in order to describe his communication with Cain, it appears to me that he tells Cain that the reason why Cain is not acceptable is not because of what he did or because of what he did not do. But the reason why Cain was not acceptable was because he was trying to elevate himself and make himself acceptable because of what he did, because of his actions, because of his behavior, because of his obedience. That was why God did not consider him to be acceptable. And the Lord followed up his explanation by explaining to him that if he would not make a correction to this elevation of himself, trying to make himself acceptable to the Lord because of his actions, and that was the incomplete sentence. He did not follow through with that and simply said, but you are surely going to rule your life by this. In other words, he was going to rule and govern his life by trying to make himself acceptable to God. When you consider Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 and the description of Eve's perspective of Cain, that Cain was going to be the Messiah, that Cain was going to set them all free. And then in verse 2, when Abel was born, by naming Abel it is all in vain, would give Cain some additional inspiration to show that perhaps he really is the Messiah, that he could really work for it, that he could really obey God, be righteous, be holy, and be the one who could reconcile everyone back to God. When you consider the belief of his mother Eve and how that might have been conveyed to him, how that might have influenced him personally, for him to present himself by elevating himself by his own actions, by his own obedience, is easy to understand. And then to see God relate to him in the way that he did by telling him, look, this idea that you're going to elevate yourself to me because of your actions and because of your obedience, that is not going to be acceptable. And if you won't make a correction to that, oh, but now that I think of it, I can see that you're just not going to make a correction to that. Surely you're going to rule your life by trying to live this way, and the end result will be that you will never be acceptable to me. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you